to the Muslim Brotherhood. The authorities say the journalists are connected with the pan-Arab television network Al Jazeera, but it says it doesn't have 20 journalists in Egypt. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning, three minutes after 8 o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing here on Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, the Fed cuts $10 billion a month in its QE program. Facebook announces significantly stronger earnings, and the stock soars. ICBC buys 60% of Standard Bank's market unit. This is a South African bank with a unit in London. And Google will sell Motorola to Lenovo. Oh, and pro-China legislators shut down the RTHK plan for a new complex. There's a lot more to tell you about as well. Markets really struggling this morning in the wake of that Fed move. And also the fact that even though Turkey raised interest rates, the Turkey Central Bank raised interest rates a lot, money still continued to flee Turkey. And uh, so a lot of the emerging markets have been hit. We'll get to a lot of that in just a moment. But first, a little tease of this morning's program. The Fed stayed away from any kind of controversy. They noted that the economy was showing some mixed signals in January. But in general, on balance is the term they kept using. The economy continues to improve. And I think most people would agree that that's a reasonably accurate assessment. Comments there from Bloomberg's Mike McKee. Uh, Professor Jeremy Siegel from the Wharton Business School also comments on the Fed action. I was actually a little disappointed. I thought they should mention some of the problems we've had a little bit more. Okay, so we'll get to him later. And by the way, he still has an 18,000 target for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and that uh, index is today at 15,738. It was a sell-off on Wall Street. That coming in a moment. I want to tell you about our guests first. We've got shipping expert Vikran Bhatia of KC Maritime joining us. Julian Evans Pritchard from Capital Economics will be along as well to talk about the credit risks in China. Julian is another analyst who is very concerned. And Steve Wong from the Reorient Group will be with us for a look at the Fed decision and the impact on us here in Hong Kong and China. Well, Fed policymakers cut the pace of bond buying for a second straight meeting that is being cut by $10 billion to $65 billion. They cited that labor market indicators were mixed, but on balance showing further improvement. They said economic growth had picked up in recent quarters. More now from Mike McKee. The Fed stayed away from any kind of controversy. They noted that the economy was showing some mixed signals in January. But in general, on balance is the term they kept using. The economy continues to improve. And I think most people would agree that that's a reasonably accurate assessment. They kept everything else pretty much the same. Uh, they continued with the the taper as they had forecasted. They're going to keep an eye on it. Didn't put in any new thresholds. Didn't change the forward guidance. At this point, it looks like uh, Ben Bernanke decided uh, with uh, the end of his term up, He'd just rather punt it over to Janet Yellen. If any changes are going to come, it's going to be on her watch. And even though it was pretty much as expected, the Nikkei is down 295 points at 15,088. That's a drop of almost 2%. In Australia, the main index is down about 1%. Of course, the futures in Japan had been showing something like a 400-point drop, so we may see some moderation today. Dollar-yen is now 102.25. The euro up against the, the dollar is 136.57, so not too much change in uh, in that. And looking at the pound, it's trading at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 85 cents. So we heard there from Mike McKee on the Fed move. More now from Bloomberg's Peter Cook. 
There is some new comments with regard to the economy, slightly rosier outlook from the Fed with regard to the economy going forward. Let me read to you perhaps the most important section uh, within the statement itself. It says, and it's a repeat of the last statement, if incoming information broadly supports the committee's expectation of ongoing improvement in labor market conditions and inflation moving back toward its longer-run objective, the committee will likely reduce the pace of asset purchases in further measured steps at future meetings. However, asset purchases are not on a preset course. The committee's decisions about their pace will remain contingent on the committee's outlook for the labor market and inflation as its assessment of the likely efficacy and costs of such per- purchases. Back to Professor Siegel. He thinks they should have mentioned more about the risks. I was actually a little disappointed. I thought they should mention some of the problems we've had a little bit more and emphasize what they actually emphasized when they started tapering in December, that this is not a cut and dried thing that, you know, is going to blow through any events, that if we see continued weakness, you know, we might uh, slow or stop the tapering temporarily. And there was no dissent. It was a unanimous decision. The first meeting without a dissent since June of 2011. On Wall Street, stocks were down. Some earnings were deemed disappointing. And the Fed move gave investors a little pause for thought, particularly with what's happening in emerging markets. Yahoo down 8.7%. Its sales forecast yesterday signaled slowing growth for the company. And Boeing retreated 5.3%. That was its worst drop in more than two years after its own forecast trailed estimates. The S&P 500 down 1% at 1774. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping 189 points to 15,738. Not too much change in the yield of the 10-year Treasury. Uh, that yield uh, was right around 2.72%. And further discussion of that later. Some investors said that emerging markets have been weak of late and the drama there had been heightened. But let's go back again to Professor Siegel because not only is a professor at the Wharton Business School, but he's also in the markets, and he is a raging bull. Fair market value on the Dow is about 18000 uh, We have to remember, no bull market goes in a straight line. Uh, I think I did say that last December. And, yeah, we're getting a little downturn over here. Actually, I kind of like it. A few more pessimists here. You know, what do they say? Bull markets climb a wall of worry. At the end of December, nothing was there to worry about. Uh, the sky was completely blue. Now we got a little worry in there. Uh, you know, that it's good for a little correction in the market. Okay, so he would go on now to explain the reason that he has a target of 18,000 for the Dow. If we look at, uh, like the S&P 500, it's selling just about its average uh, valuation, price earnings ratio of around 17, 16 and a half that it has over the last 60 years. But if I take out the double digit interest rate period where the PE of the market was eight and nine and 10, and we're not, you know, anywhere getting near that, the average PE has actually been 18 or 19, about 10 to 15 percent higher than we are today. That's why I add that to it and say, Given our low interest rate environment, and even interest rates going up, we're, we're nowhere near getting to the double digits. Given that environment, we could certainly trade higher than today. 
The Bloomberg China-U.S. equity index of the most traded mainland stocks in the United States dropped almost 2%. Equities falling there in New York uh, as Sina plunged to a six-month low that after a rout in emerging market currencies highlighted some of the weakness in the global economy. But you wouldn't know that looking at Facebook. Its earnings were very strong out after the bell. Results far exceeding analyst projections. Revenue was up 63% to $2.59 billion. Earnings excluding certain items, came in at 31 cents a share. That was up from 17 cents a year ago and better than the 27 cents expected. The shares in after-hours trading were up 6.3% to $56.92. The stock, by the way, is up 74% in the past 12 months. We also saw pretty good earnings from Qualcomm, and that stock was up in after-hours trade as well. Well, ICBC has agreed to uh, pay about $765 million for 60% of a markets unit owned by Standard Bank of South Africa. The unit specializes in commodities and currency trading. ICBC has a five-year option to acquire an additional 20% of the company. That option starts two years after this deal is completed. And if ICBC takes up the right, Standard Bank can require the Chinese bank to buy the remaining stake. The unit is based in London. ICBC's interest in expanding there comes after the Bank of England said that it would help in uh, creating a yuan clearing bank in London. A couple of other stories uh, that got my attention overnight. Lenovo Group agreeing to acquire Google's Motorola Mobility handset unit. They're paying $2.91 billion for that. The sale includes $1.41 billion in cash, and Lenovo stock paid at the close of the deal with $1.5 billion to be paid in a three-year promissory note. Google said in a statement, and according to filings, it would retain a majority of Motorola Mobility's patent portfolio, with Lenovo receiving a license to the intellectual property. A couple of other quick notes. Gold is trading now $1,267.30. That's up $5.10. And oil price is $107.85 a barrel. Our first guest this morning is Steve Wong, an analyst at the Reorient Group. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Yeah, nice to have you with us uh, here. So let's talk a little bit about the Fed and the impact on us. Uh, Even though this was what was expected, we have seen quite a lot of selling in the market. Why do you think that's the case? Sure. I think uh, a couple of factors. Uh, of course, uh, the tapering is going to affect the, the overall liquidity issue. Liquidity has been in focus for about almost, almost more than six months now. In fact, if we recall, I think it's important to realize that China has started its uh, deleveraging process since last May. And that's what you saw in June, and we saw you know, in bit different spats of uh, interbank uh, uncomfort in, in November, December as well as in January. So I think liquidity is going to be very important this year again, because uh, even though we had some good uh, liquidity coming from the central bank in a run-up to the coming holiday. Uh, Is it a little unusual that they didn't mention some of the turmoil in emerging markets? The, you know, two meetings ago, they talked about, um, you know, some difficulty in financial conditions. Uh, I think, of course, I mean, people really are worried about that. And investors are constantly beating the ground for a hard landing scenario. But we think that is not the case, though. I mean, I, yes, in, in, in the emerging market, there's a lot of risk, especially the, com- the countries that has not, you know, really cleaned up their financials. But that is not the case for, say, China. And, you know, what we're looking at really is just looking at the interbank rates. And I think 
in the short term, the rates have stabilized. But I think over the Chinese New Year, we'll, we are going to see more volatility because the one month and uh, two month uh, borrowing rate are still very elevated above seven percent, and that's going to be some pain to come. In, in, you know, after the Chinese New Year, so it's expected that liquidity might help the overall situation in Hong Kong and China uh, after the New Year because we did see capital inflow from the uh, developed market into uh, Chinese market uh, in the run-up to the year end, but you know that's going to be basically offset by the the, the you know the government stepping harder on the pedal of reforms, and they really want to see you know economies in the high tech sector growing better and the, the smokestack economy going you know getting more pressured. It just seems to worry a lot of people that you've got these wealth management products there. And now that um, uh, some liquidity will be withdrawn uh, as the money that came in here from the Fed's uh, largesse, uh, some of it will will go out. I guess a lot of people trying to figure how much uh, that that eventually is going to impact on the Hong Kong banks. Uh, some people hold that view. Do you? I think the banks banks have their a big bigger issue of what exactly is their non performing loan profile. I mean, right now, of course, the official statistics remains very low, about one percent. And you know, it's, I, I, I find it very very difficult to convince people to trust the official number. So I, I stopped doing that. Um, but I think so. That is what is really people looking at. But I don't necessarily think that pe- money is flowing out of the wealth management products because. You know, with with the uh, with the ups and downs of this, these is we see very very strong demand for people to shift money out of the banks into these uh, money market funds, basically. And do you think that the bailout exacerbates this? The bailout is not actually clear who bailed it out. I mean, it's possible that the ICBC's MPO manager has stepped in. But that may not be an instruction directly from the top. I think what is more important in this case is, uh, and the government, the central government owes the public an explanation on, you know, what actually happened. So bailout, $3 billion a drop in the bucket. I mean, my view has been that ICBC could not wait to pay for that $3 billion to get their names off of the headlines, right? Yes. Well, they didn't want to pay all of it. And it says here in the headlines today that uh, China credit is repaying the principal, not the interest. So there is a little bit of a haircut there. Do you think that that's enough to encourage more discipline among investors? Uh, investor wise, they, they should definitely be more aware. And I think in the past uh uh, year or so, people have started to get a little bit more cautious, and that's why they have been demanding higher rates as well in response to that. So that's a positive development. But I think this year is going to be a little bit more challenging than last year, where sort of the implicit guarantee definitely goes away. Yes, a lot of people would have borrowed money here in Hong Kong, people like you and me, mm-hmm. being offered um, lots of money, millions of dollars at one or 2%, and will have bought some of these products in China, yielding 10%. Easy thinking, carry trade. Yeah. Thinking it's an easy carry trade. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they keep bailing these um, people out, uh, then it's probably going to continue. As you say, there's a lot of money coming out of the banks in China going into these products. We're storing up some very big problems for down the road. Keep in mind that I think part of the goal of financial reform is to really clean up the banking sector. I think the authorities in this case is really after the banks, not the investor. 
they have repeatedly said that they want to protect the small and medium investors, right? So I think the banks have the responsibility to explain and also to clean up their acts. And they really uh, you know, create better wealth management products that are more transparent and they, they have better disclosure and the sales in the banks that also have to tell you know, their investor that you know, these products are not guaranteed because you know, apparently from the trust we've learned that you know, okay. ICBC salesman has allegedly told investors that these are 100% pay, pay, uh, guaranteed yeah. products. Yeah. Okay, I've got another guest to talk about this, so let's move on a little bit just sure. here briefly about manufacturing uh, because the uh, HSBC market uh, prediction on the PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index, so in other words, a gauge of manufacturing activity, was slightly under 50 last week, and that really um, kind of stoked a lot of fears in the emerging markets, which of course feed uh, off of China. What what is the official number going to be when it comes out? Uh, is it today or tomorrow that it comes out? Uh, that will be the February 1st, I believe. Okay. So what, what, what will, that, will that number be back over 50 or do you think it will be below? I think it still might uh, just hover just above 50. I think basically we're in a state of a steadiness. And uh, the official number tends to be more uh, stable. It tends to fluctuate within a 0.5 range as opposed to the uh, private HSBC one that fluctuates about a plus or minus zero, one percentage point. So I think uh, what I did is uh, when I look at this number is I went back to 2007, 2008, 2009 to check all the volatility that the seasonality impact during the Chinese New Year. And I do see a very strong pattern. So it actually suggests that there's a good chance that the HSBC one might even rebound in February. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, Steve. Uh, you can stay with us if you'd like, but I'd like to welcome Julian Evans Pritchard uh, to the program, who's an assistant economist at Capital Economics in Singapore. Um, good morning. Good morning. Yes, the first guest um, is not quite so negative on China, but I take it you're somewhat more concerned. This trust bailout that we saw, um, now that it's been unveiled, what does that mean for credit risk in China, in your view? Well, obviously there was a lot of short-term relief uh, in the market that, that it was bailed out. So um, obviously a lot of short-term relief that there wasn't going to be an immediate credit event. But we, we think the issue is that this reinforces the belief among investors that these products are risk-free. Um, so in the long run, that leads to a mispricing of risk, which will encourage poor lending decisions. So in the long run, we just think it, it actually increases risk uh, in the long term. But, Julian, there was a lot of publicity about this. Uh, certainly, everybody would have heard about this and would have worried that these 700 investors would have lost all their money uh, since the coal mine went bust. Um, do, don't you think that that's already a bit of a message sent to investors? Well, I, you, you already hear in, in the news reports that many of the investors think that they're still going to be able to get back their, their interest and that they're going to, you know... You know um, uh, go, go to the bank managers and complain that they haven't received their interest. So there's still very much this idea in China that that the banks should step in um, and support the risk. So we think that this was a bit of a missed opportunity um, and that it, it, in a way we don't think that there was a big contagion risk from this product. We think that um, they could have allowed it to default without causing a, a contagion. The trust uh, market is only a part of the entire wealth management products uh, in China. Um, what do you think needs to be done to kind of clean up that area? 
Well, you're already seeing a, a slowdown in, in growth in, in the shadow banking system. And that's because the shadow banking system is much more sensitive to the interbank rates. Um, and the central bank is increasingly targeting the interbank rates. And you've seen that they've gradually trended upwards in the last few months. Um, so we think that's the main approach that policymakers are taking to to reduce the growth rate. Because our main concern is not the level of credit at the moment. Um, it's uh, roughly 220% of GDP. It's still below you know, most other countries. But our concern is the pace of credit growth. So last year, credit grew at almost twice the rate of GDP growth. So the concern is if it's not unsustainable now, it can become unsustainable very quickly. So that's our main concern. But isn't it quite necessary for small and medium-sized businesses? This is where they can they can get loans. Um, they're not getting the loans from the big banks. Most of those loans seem to go to the state-owned enterprises. Yeah, definitely. And I think policymakers are aware of that. We already saw in the in the leaked document 107 in, in late December that that was a document out of the um, state council se- saying that they they realized that the shadow banking sector was very important to the economy in, in providing credit to, to credit-constrained borrowers. Often they're private firms who are actually very productive. So it's, it does play an important role. Um, but we think that regardless of shadow banking or just bank lending, uh, the pace of o- overall credit growth is just unsustainable at the moment, and that pace has to come down, um, and growth, GDP growth has to come down with it. So what do you think a uh, more reasonable growth level would be then? Are you talking about a significant drop down into the 5% range? Well, we think that credit growth should be growing roughly in line with nominal GDP growth, which it had up until the financial crisis. But then in 2008, the government stepped in with its stimulus program, and that's when credit growth and nominal GDP diverged. So we think credit growth should ideally come back to around 10%. Do you think that a lot of the turmoil we've seen in emerging markets can be tied to uh, what's happening in China? Or do you think that there are individual factors all over the place that uh, are more important? Well, I guess a lot of the, the issues in the emerging markets are domestic factors. Um, and obviously the uh, concerns over the tapering have, have caused um, concerns about capital outflows. Uh, we don't think China is, is the major factor in that. Um, actually, we we are welcoming a slowdown in, in, in Chinese growth. We think that if China continues to grow at its current rate, um, that would actually be a greater concern to us. Okay. All right, Julian, uh, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Julian Evans Pritchard there, Assistant Economist, Capital Economics. Well, the time is 25 minutes after 8 o'clock. We, uh, I referenced the turmoil. There's quite a lot of selling going on today. The Nikkei is now down 430 points at 14,952. That's a drop of 2.8%. Australia is lower by about 1%. Well, let's say good morning now to Vikram Bhatia, CEO of KC Maritime, for a little industry segment here on shipping. Uh, Vikram, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yes, it's good to have you back on the program. The Baltic Dry Index has been slumping. Um, It does seem to suggest that um, a little bit of the sunny uh, period we thought was coming may be further out. Uh, What does that do? You watch that Baltic Dry Index, and how would you read the state of shipping at the moment? Well, I mean, if you look at it from year to date, the the index is down 55%. But uh, if you look at where it was at the same time last year, it's up by about 48%. So uh, 
So it's uh, it's really reflecting this the, the cyclical slowdown that we see in Q1, where iron ore shipments sort of fall off between you know an average of about 12% when compared with the previous quarter. And uh, to those of us in the industry, it's not really a huge surprise. Did it not drop fairly sharply after we saw the weaker manufacturing numbers? Yes, I mean uh, the index is, is, is you know is, is very sensitive to to anything that that happens in, in in China because it's really driven by Chinese iron ore, China coal, China coal, and things like that. But it was on you know it, it had gone up uh, quite significantly over you know in in the, the last quarter with Cape size uh, you know sort of hitting uh, forty thousand dollars. So the, you know the higher it goes, the lower the, the lower it falls or the quicker it falls. Last time we had you on, you were buying ships. Uh, do you still feel confident? Very confident. Uh, last time we bought uh, we bought six. Uh, we're going back in the market and buying more. I think uh, you know for a, after a long time, uh, we're seeing uh, the, the the trade growth in in demand uh, outstripping the growth in the supply of ships. So uh, we feel fairly confident for the next two years. So that would seem to suggest that a lot of this overcapacity that we saw over the past few years in China is starting to work its way through. That's right. I mean, that's, that's spot on. Uh, we're seeing a sort of supply of ships coming off. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of ordering and what that harbingers for 2016 and onwards is uh, something that we will look at uh, as, as, we, as we see the, how the market develops. So, so why why is it that you seem somewhat more upbeat than what's reflected in the Baltic Dry and also in the price of the big Chinese shippers uh, on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange? Uh, I think, well, you know, uh, as I said, you know, we're seeing uh, for the first time in several years in, uh, the the growth in uh, in demand outstripping the growth in the supply of ships, and that's that's not happened in a long time. Uh, so we will see that you know shipping is really a derived demand. Uh, so it's 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 very reflective of you know what the domestic prices of iron ore, coal, etc. In China. Well, again, why is it not reflected in the stock prices? Usually, people in that industry are looking out nine months. Uh, I think you know the if you look at the the, the dry the dry indexes, there is a strong correlation with with the general market, and when you see that correction, it you know it pulls everything down. But the dry market, uh, you know, uh, some of the Hong Kong stocks have been uh, that are focused in the dry market have been doing, uh, re- you know, reasonably well. So when you say the dry market, uh, can you explain that exactly? Well, it's, it's the market that relates to commodities that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, where ships are carrying, uh, you know, things like coal, iron, or uh, grain. Very focused on on the dry on the, on the on the dry bulk market, so to say, as compared to the wet market, which is the tanker market or the container market, which are completely different industries. I should disclose that I, I own several of the shippers, uh, and and uh, I have actually been selling them down uh, because, you know, they've just been performing so badly. Are you saying that we're likely to see a pickup in commodities, in the shipment of commodities, and thus we should be buying more shipping stocks? Yes, I mean, that's a fair observation. Uh, we, uh, you know, we're going to see lower commodity prices. Iron ore is $130. Uh, forward prices are, are, you know, about 115 going out one quarter. Uh, that's good for shipping, per se, uh, because, uh, you know, shipping being a derived demand is going to uh, promote uh, the import of iron ore as against uh, domestic consumption in China. Okay, Vikrant, got to let you go. Thank you. All right.
Vikram Bhatia, Chief Executive Officer of Casey Maritime. Money for nothing now, 8.30. Let's get a quick check of uh, markets. I mentioned that uh, the Nikkei was down 431 points now. In Australia, we see a weaker market by 1%. Uh, We'll follow some of these other markets as the day moves on. Uh, Looks like a lower open for Hong Kong today. Uh, The Australian dollar now 87.47. So not really all that much of a change for the Aussie dollar. Uh, The fixing rate for the renminbi 6.10 we mentioned gold at 1266 so a little bit of a pickup for gold and oil now 107.85 in the weather today it will be fine and dry with a maximum temperature of 22 back chat coming up next right after the news which will follow this little station id News with Samantha Butler. The Director of Broadcasting, Roy Tang, says it's unlikely the government can reduce the cost of new headquarters for RTHK. Yesterday, its funding request for $5.3 billion failed to get enough support from lawmakers. This had been reduced from $6.1 billion, which was rejected earlier this month. Speaking to RTHK this morning, Mr Tang said the project would have to be retendered, which would delay construction by at least two years and further increase costs. The original proposal is of a scale which is a bare minimum required uh, for the services which we have promised to the public back in 2009. Uh, we, we do not believe that there is a huge scope for reduction in terms of the number of the 